1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. Welcome to Born to Be Breastfed, where I'll be your host for the next hour. I'm so glad that you could join us today. I'm actually just so really glad that I have a show because I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of excited to do the show, but today especially so because I get to talk about the, pre, the myths that occur as related to breastfeeding your preterm baby. Now, interestingly enough, I started working with preterm babies uh, really kind of before I started working with term babies. And so I think that they're really in a little special class, all of their own. But they do have some things going on that make it especially important for me to bust the myths that we're going to talk about today. I have 10 myths and I will go through each one of them. Let me just start out by saying why this show is important to you. It's because, first of all, we have a very high percentage of preterm births here in the United States, as well as abroad. We don't have any statistics on how many babies that are preterm are breastfed, but I'm going to tell you, in my clinical experience, it's substantial, okay? It is substantial. So why is that? Well, for a number of reasons. Remember that preterm babies are also frequently twins and all of that. But there's another thing that kind of I, I think is very prevalent, and that is that we give families mixed messages. And then mothers or fathers tell me, I didn't know what to believe. And generally what happens when people don't know what to believe is that they just sort of take the the easiest path or the path of least resistance, which is, ah, forget it. You know, we'll just bottle feed, and that's pretty straightforward. We'll just do that instead. So <clears throat> I want to get you clear on the fact that bottle feeding is not just as good. It is absolutely not just as good. And I want you to feel the courage of your convictions. Maybe you're expecting a preterm baby. Or maybe you already have a preterm baby. Maybe you're sitting in the hospital listening to me. And if so, I want to have you for just a minute, I want you to just think, Marie is sitting right next to me. She is my nurse today and she's talking to me. That's how, because you know, honestly, when I sit and I do these shows, I look at a chair and I try to imagine some mother sitting in that chair Sometimes somebody that I've helped in the past, and I realize how important it is for me to get to you with the message that I have about breastfeeding preterm babies. Now, before we get too far into this, I want to make sure that we're all talking about the same thing here. I need to get you clear on the definition of preterm, because there's preterm, and then there's subcategories of preterm. So for today at least, I'm going to give the definitions from the World Health Organizations, how the World Health Organization, the WHO, defines preterm. According to the WHO, preterm is defined as babies born alive before 37 weeks of pregnancy are completed. And by the way, the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, also uses that definition. And then they break it down into subcategories of preterm birth based on how long the baby has been in utero, how long the baby is better than mommy. They talk about late to, mo- excuse me, moderate to late preterm, which is start taking notes if this is if this is your kid okay 32 to less than 37 weeks gestation the next subcategory is very preterm 28 to less than 32 weeks gestation and finally the WHO says extremely preterm is less than 28 weeks gestation. Now the American Academy has slightly different, it's pretty pretty similar. So I'm just going to go with the World Health Organization now because I know that I have listeners in more than just the US. So then technically a baby can be classified as being preterm if he's been in utero for fewer than 37 weeks uh, completed. For purposes of this show, though, I do want to say that usually when people ask me about preterm babies, they're talking to me about the babies who are at least moderately preterm and maybe even more so. Now, this gives me an opportunity to say that some people just assume that just because a baby weighs less than five pounds or some other amount of weight, whatever it is, that he's preterm. But actually, that's really not right. A baby can be very small for gestational age, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he was born before a full-term gestation. So as I'm going to talk about babies on this show today, I generally mean those babies that were born before term and they are of low birth weight. And generally when people tell me about the myths they've heard, they are often if not always referring to babies that are moderately or very or extremely preterm. So you're kind of I'm I'm going to kind of pick the middle of the road here a little bit today. Understand that what I'm going to talk about pertains mostly to those babies that are younger and smaller but the, the you should also know that especially you know, usually my shows are more geared towards the baby that is full term and healthy, but today I really want to impress upon you that the information that I'm going to give on my show or my websites does not provide any medical advice. Information on my websites or the radio show is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for the advice provided by your physician or any other healthcare professional. You should always speak with your professional or uh, your your physician or a different healthcare professional before deciding on or declining any medical treatment for yourself or for your baby. So information provided on the websites or the radio show uh, or any use of products or services that I might mention or that my guests might mention. Uh, today, I guess it's just me, huh? Uh, but it does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship between you and me so I'm going to whip through here what are the 10 myths that I see number one preterm babies must learn to take a bottle before they can take a before they can breastfeed number two preterm babies must be given formula supplements or fortifiers number three uh, I think I squished those together, so I think those are two and three. Oh, no, excuse me. Number three, uh, preterm babies can't come out of the incubator to breastfeed because they might get cold. Number four, formula is just as good as donor milk for preterm babies. Number five, breastfeeding is too hard for term, preterm babies. Number six. Breastfeeding is not possible for preterm infants before, take your pick on this, I've heard before 32 weeks, before 33 weeks, before 34 weeks, gestation or postmenstrual age. I've heard all of those. Very arbitrary numbers. Number seven, uh, breastfeeding is not possible unless the mother uses a nipple shield. Number eight, preterm infants cannot breastfeed for more than 20 minutes at a time. Number nine, all breastfed preterm babies must be weighed before and after every breastfeeding. And number 10, breastfed preterm babies must be held in the transitional hold. So what I'm going to do, I hope here, is get at each one of those. So let me start at the very beginning where I talked about number one. Preterm babies must learn to take a bottle before they can breastfeed. This is a myth. This myth really focuses on the mechanics of the oral mechanisms of sucking or suckling. The presumption is that it's more difficult for the baby to transfer milk from his baby's, from the mother's breast to himself compared with using the rubber nipple. But to fully understand why this is a myth, it's important actually to understand the actual mechanics of how suckling the human breast is in comparison to suckling an artificial nipple. This is true for all infants, preterm or full term, and it has to do with how the baby compresses the nipple, either the human nipple or the artificial nipple. What happens is that when the baby is compressing the mother's nipple, he's taking the nipple into the the mouth, his mouth, and then he uses his tongue in a wave-like motion. Okay, I want you to think about this wave that would be moving. And by the way, the entire GI tract works that way. So he is moving that nipple in this undulating or wave-like motion. Not so, not so for the baby who is sucking an artificial nipple that is atop a bottle. That baby has just got his jaws going up and down, bam, 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 okay? And I'm making this motion that I usually make when I try to explain it to parents. But it's just an up-and-down, piston-like motion, and babies do not suckle a breast that way. So, essentially, when people say, oh, well, he's got to learn to bottle feed before he learns to breastfeed, my answer is no, because you are now asking the baby to have two separate skills. You're asking him to be a switch hitter. You're asking him to be able to bat right-handed and bat left-handed. Most of these kids are not very good switch hitters. I will tell you, I've seen some that are, they can do it. But most of them, and certainly the preterm kids, really seem to have a lot of difficulty with that. So I'm just here to tell you that it's not, that's not really where you want to go. Okay, so that's a myth, basically. Okay, the second one would be that. Uh, The the myth is preterm babies must be given formula supplements uh, or fortifiers. And I'm going to talk to you more about that after we come back. I'll give you a few minutes to think about what we've said during this segment. Stay tuned. That's what we're going to talk about when we come back. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after this short break.
3: Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
0: Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to Energy Medicine and Optimal Health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, Before we uh, took a break, we were talking about the 10 myths to uh, as related to breastfeeding the premature baby, and now I'm going to pick up with the others. Okay, here's the second one that I hear quite a bit, and by the way, I just took these myths from the stuff that I've been hearing for the last 30 plus years, and unfortunately, these myths are Not completely unchanged, but are very, very similar to what I've been hearing for years. Uh, The second one I often hear is preterm babies must be given formula supplements or fortifiers. No, that is a myth. Not all. Not all preterm babies need to be supplemented with formula. Not all preterm babies need to have fortifier and by the way, you need to be really clear that these are two different things. So let me first take on the formula and then I will take on the fortifier, understanding that those are two different products. Uh, You know, most of the time nobody really gives a rip about what I say. In fact, sometimes I don't give a rip about what I say. What I really look for and what you should look for is what the authorities say. There was a massive, massive, massive summary. I'm talking like 130-some pages that talked about the effects of human milk that was published by the World Health Organization. And the authors on that were Edmund and I believe her her name is Baal, B-A-H-L. I apologize if that person is listening and if I've butchered their name. But basically, the... Policy statement from the World Health Organization and UNICEF and other national and international documents point out how important it is for preterm and small for gestational age infants to have their own mother's milk. So, here I'm talking about the milk, okay, the fluid, whereas a couple of minutes ago I was talking about the mechanics of getting the fluid, okay? So, I think that there is great agreement that human milk is ideal for all babies, and human milk is ideal for preterm babies. So you got to say to yourself, well, uh, you know, how exactly did this myth get going in the first place? I don't know. You know, one of the things that I hear swirling around is the idea that formula has more calories than mother's own milk. Um, that may or may not be the case. It's really important to realize. And uh, what what are you comparing to what here? Now, usually, when we talk about the number of calories in human milk, we talk about approximately twenty calories per ounce and If you come to the many courses that i 'm offering in the spring i'm going to be uh, i'm going to be giving my comprehensive course three more times this spring, and um, yeah, I think like six or seven of the review courses, and you will hear me say. That it's 20 calories per ounce, and that's sort of true, but that is the average. As you might imagine, the more fat that a mother's milk contains, the more calories that there will be in her milk, maybe your milk. Now, if you've ever known anybody who works in a milk bank, you might ask her how many calories she sees in human milk because they actually look at that, by the way. And she will probably tell you that some batches have as little as 16 or 17 calories per ounce, while other batches have as many as 26 or more calories per ounce. I think you see where I'm going with this, which is don't assume that the standard formula, which, by the way, is 20 calories, is going to provide your baby with more calories. That may or may not be the case. Now, there certainly are some special preterm formulas, and those are indeed used for preterm babies, and heaven knows I've fed those to kids more times than I can count. Uh, There are different ones. Sort of the original one was 24 calories, They've also got a 22 calorie and I actually I've read about the newer ones that are as much as 30 calories. But what I think you you see where I'm going here is that please don't think that just because it's formula that it automatically has more milk because that's just not the case. So is human milk a good thing for the preterm babies? Yes. There was an excellent study that was done by Again, I apologize to this person if I butcher their name. It's Ars Glue and colleagues who said that human milk is, quote, a very effective intervention for preventing infections in general and for preventing ne- enter- necrotizing enterocolitis specifically. Uh, necrotizing enterocolitis is very often uh, referred to as NEC, N-E-C, if you've heard of that. Now, this was a 2010 study, and in that study, as well as others, what we've shown here is that human milk has actually improved the preterm baby's long-term brain development and cardiovascular outcomes. All right, so that's a little bit on formula. I I told you I would talk to you about fortifier. First, let me say that fortifier is a good thing, okay? Fortifier is a good thing. It generally provides more nutrients for the baby than he would have from his own mother's milk alone. Fortifier does have an associated set of limitations and considerations, but if used as indicated, and by the way, that's the operative word here, as indicated, generally, I'd say that fortifier... uh, is not something that you should put up your hackles about and say that you don't want it. Because in general, I think that for a baby for whom it is indicated, for whom it is designed, it's probably a good thing. The myth that I'm trying to dispel is that all babies must have fortifier if they are breastfed. And that's just not true. Let me try to explain that. Let's look at why the very low birth weight infants usually cannot thrive on their mother's milk only. Since 1983, consuming human milk only, that is, without the fortifier, in the preterm babies has been associated with poor growth rates. And the uh, unmet nutritional need ends up having them uh, be a problem in the hospital and even thereafter. So to overcome this, these commercially prepared products can be added to the mother's own milk. And they're, they're called human milk fortifiers. They are fortifying the mother's milk with extra nutrients, most notably calcium, phosphorus, protein, and some other nutrients. Now, let me digress for just a minute on the calcium and the phosphorus. The most amount of bone development that happens when the baby is inside the mommy is in the third trimester. So if that third trimester is cut short, then the baby needs more calcium, needs more phosphorus. And in theory, if the baby could drink a bunch of gallons of, of his mother's milk in a day, I guess he'd probably get enough. But we all know that, first of all, babies don't have the capacity and the capability to actually do that so that's why this adding of calcium and phosphorus is so important and the other biggie one there is the protein now all of us whether we are term babies or grown adults or preterm babies we all need protein in order to build and repair cells that's what protein does now, where people get confused here is they just think, well, more calories, and more calories would be a good thing, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, 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 not really quite. You don't quite have it right. Fortifiers are indicated when the baby's birth weight is less than something. In the hospitals where I've worked, it's generally either less than 1,500 grams or less than 1,800 grams. Usually, there's a policy in the hospital, or it might just be the neonatologist's judgment, but in any event. We're not talking about the kids that are a little bit preterm. We're talking about the kids that are a lot preterm. So if this very low birth weight baby can't tolerate a big enough volume of milk, then using the human milk fortifier is generally kind of the way we go. All right. Now you can perhaps see why I'm trying to dispel the myth that all preterm babies need fortifier because that's just not true. It really depends on how preterm the baby is, how much they weigh, and their individual needs. So it's not... They are just to put weight on the baby, although it is certainly helpful for that. But it is there because it has this extra mixture of nutrients that the baby would not get from just the mother's milk alone. I have time to buzz by, oh no, I don't have time to buzz by the, um, the, the one on the incubator, no. Because that is one that is going to take me a little bit longer. Uh, I can, let me just see, let me just see how, how, oh, you know what, I can talk just a minute about formula. Here's the uh, fourth one, so I'm going to skip to myth number four, that formula is just as good as donor milk for preterm babies. That is a myth. There is nothing that is as good as human milk for human babies. Now, clinically, the use of donor milk, which by the way comes from a in my world it comes from a donor milk bank it is pasteurized and it's it's a it's a milk bank that's what i'm talking about uh it is more likely to prevent neck we just talked about neck as well as reducing feeding intolerance it has also been um uh, Shown to improve long term outcomes in premature infants now both parents and providers usually express concern about whether or not the baby will grow more slowly if the donor milk is used, and they also worry about whether or not um, the components of, of pasture, the, the components of the milk will be uh, so much destroyed with pasteurization and that kind of does actually happen with donor milk then they worry about the storage as well and I get that okay because here's the thing whenever you expose human milk to extreme temperatures such as you would find in deep freezing or such as you would find in pasteurization then yes uh, it's not quite as good as if it would have been fresh but that being said Research shows that babies grow just as well when they have donor milk, actually just a tad better. So growth should not be a concern. And again, it's not Marie talking. That was a wonderful study that was done by Giuliani in 2012. So when a baby is not fed human milk, he has a higher risk of morbidity or mortality. And according to the World Health Organization, donor milk is always or almost always a better choice than formula. If you have a preterm baby, you should seriously explore the possibility of banked donor human milk for your child. If it were my child, I would be pushing for it. Because I believe we now have enough evidence to show that banked donor milk should be the standard of care for all preterm infants. Okay. When we come back, we will be taking on some more myths. I'm Marie Biancuso. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after this short break.
2: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
0: You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back
1: to the show. Hi, I'm Marie Biancuto. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. We just mowed through five major myths as related to breastfeeding the preterm baby. And we've got five more to go. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to talk just a little bit about the incubator and then I actually have some questions from people and I'm going to take those on at the end of the show if we get time because I could just talk about this one forever and ever and ever. And I wanna make sure that we get through all ten of the myths. You gotta chuckle. You gotta know my mother brought me up right. Okay, actually my father did too. You had to, you know, if you did something, you had to do the complete something. So Here's the next myth, is that preterm babies can't come out of the incubator to breastfeed because they might get cold. That is a huge myth, okay? Actually, the incubator or the radiant warmer doesn't do as good of a job keeping babies warm as much so as skin-to-skin contact. Uh, I, I... I think maybe I should also say here that the incubators can keep babies warm. Absolutely. But there are dozens of studies that show the benefits of kangaroo mother care and skin-to-skin contact. And I should say, by the way, that technically there is a difference between kangaroo mother care, that is K-M-C, and skin-to-skin contact, okay? They, they actually technically are different. But for our purposes today, I think we can just kind of use them interchangeably because it would be fair to say that what heats the baby, okay, is the mother's. I think I said in a prior show that, that this is like, all right, like radiant warmth is when you put your hand near something warm. All right. Uh, maybe you have a space heater. I've got a space heater in my office, and today is a cold day. If I put my hand near that, yes, I get warm. But if I were to put my hand on that, I would burn my hand, right? Okay. The idea here is that when you are actually literally on top of the heat, which is what the baby is when he's at breast, then you are getting direct heat. And I believe that is called conduction. I don't remember my high school physics. I believe that's what it is. Okay. So you're, you're, it really makes a lot of sense that the baby is going to get more warm by being directly on the heating element. And the heating element here is the mother. We also know that mother's breasts, if they are lactating, they are warmer than the non-lactating mother's breast. And in fact, actually, they're warmer than... And men's breasts, too, which is why we call it kangaroo mother care because fathers cannot adjust that temperature. I, I could just talk tons and tons and tons. This could probably be like a whole show. Uh, I'm going to give you just a little tiny snippet here. A landmark randomized controlled trial, and you know that those are the Cadillacs of, of, of studies, A landmark randomized control trial done by internationally recognized Dr. Niels Bergman showed that, and I quote, newborn care provided by skin-to-skin contact on mother's chest results in better physiologic outcomes and stability than the same care provided in closed servo-controlled incubators. I will repeat that Bergman's study showed that quote newborn care provided by skin to skin contact on the mother's chest results in better physiologic outcomes and stabilities than the same care provided in closed servo controlled incubators. Then Bergman's study goes on to say, and I quote, The cardiorespiratory instability seen in separated infants in the first six hours is consistent with mammalian, quote, protest despair, unquote, biology with, quote, hyperarousal and dissociation, unquote, response patterns described in human infants. Newborns should not be separated from their mothers. This is so important. Yes, I just told you that you can heat your baby better than the closed servo-controlled incubators. And not because I said so, but because research, beautifully done research, has shown that. Okay, you know I could keep talking about that one, but I will try to contain myself. I want to move on to uh, myth number five. Breastfeeding is too hard for preterm infants. And I've heard that myth as sometimes, oh, it takes too much energy. It tires them out. It's too much work. Use whatever words you want to, but that's basically what people are telling me. Listen. Preterm babies do tire easily. There's no question about that. But it's inaccurate to leap to the conclusion that breastfeeding is more difficult, or breastfeeding is more strenuous, or burns more calories, or whatever it is, as compared to feeding from the bottle. There are a number of studies that have shown that, in fact, breastfeeding is actually easier for babies than sucking the artificial nipple. I do believe that there were some studies that were done a very long time ago, but the earliest studies that I can remember were those that were done by Dr. Paula Meyer. She is a superb, world-class researcher here in the United States, um, I believe. I'm not going to say where she's at. I know it's... uh, I know it's Illinois, but I can't remember exactly where. And in her study that was dated 1988, I swear, this is one of the best-kept secrets because people keep acting like this information isn't out there, but it is out there. And it's been out there for, what, 25 years or more? Basically, what she did was she studied the infants who weighed less than 1,500 grams at the initial oral feeding. Now, these kids are really, really little, okay? They were continuously monitored during 71 feeding episodes. There were 32 bottle feeding and 39 breastfeeding episodes. Each baby served as his own control. That is, the same babies were studied while breastfeeding and while bottle feeding. She just studied the same baby doing a different thing at a different time. Does that make sense? Okay. And she measured body temperature and qualitative and quantitative differences in what we call TCPO2 levels. That's transcutaneous oxygen pressure. If you're not a nurse, and I just lost you, I'll try to translate. It's basically how how great the baby's oxygen level is or isn't. Okay. And the tissue oxygenation, of the baby's skin differed markedly from breastfeeding to bottle feeding during the episodes immediately post feed and 10 minutes after the feed. Alright, typically the bottle fed baby had a decline in tissue oxygenation during the period of intake and then a return to near baseline levels uh, as sucking ceased. A plateau at or near the baseline when the baby rested and burped, and a gradual decline in tissue oxygenation from the end of the feeding until about 10 minutes after the feeding was completed. The lowest oxygenation was always recorded when the infant was suckling the bottle nipple. But in breastfed infants, it was different, okay? There certainly was a fluctuation in tissue oxygenation from baseline, but those fluctuations were minimal as opposed to the very large declines in baseline that happened with the bottle feeding kids. All right. So breastfeeding generally lasted longer than bottle feedings. And the author suggests that infants may be able, unable rather to tolerate longer bottle feedings because of the fatigue that results. Uh, from their respiratory effort infant temperatures increased also during the breastfeeding but not during the bottle feeding hello that figures with what i just told you a few minutes ago now here's another one this is number six breastfeeding is not possible for preterm infants before 32 weeks or before 33 or 34 weeks whatever it is take your pick i've heard them all Um, That's probably a myth. First of all, let's talk about what I mean when I say postmenstrual age or PMA. By the way, the Europeans always say PMA, postmenstrual age. I think it's more useful than what we in the U.S. talk about. So I talk about postmenstrual age. It means the number of weeks that the baby has been alive, either inside the mommy or outside the mommy, intrauterine or extrauterine. So if the baby was born at 30 weeks gestation, if he's now two weeks old, you could say that he's... 32 weeks post-menstrual age. Now, when you start talking about stuff that is not possible, you better be prepared for some kid to actually be a breastfeeding athlete because, trust me, those kids are out there. Don't take my word for it, though. Look at the research done by one of my heroes, Dr. Shirsten Niekvest. She relates a most interesting case study from Europe. And by the way, I had dinner with her a couple of years ago, and she's just positively delightful as well as brilliant. And in that study, she shows how one infant born at 27 weeks gestation and four days and weighing 177, excuse me, 1,177 grams was given the opportunity to suckle when she, the baby, was only 11 days old. That is, by now, the baby is exactly 29 weeks post-menstrual age. The mother was shown how to observe for subtle cues that her baby was displaying, including approach avoidance behaviors, and the baby was able to take in 11 milliliters of her mother's milk while she suckled. Now, intake is a prominent worry among mothers for preterm babies, and I get that, okay? But at least for this baby, she was taking in milk. And you will see that in uh, another study by Niekvest, what she showed was that babies were able to transfer at least five milliliters. This was her 1999 study, actually. Um, And they could take about 80% of the prescribed volume of milk that they were supposed to be taking. So the moral of the story here is, will your baby at 32 weeks or 30 weeks or 29 weeks postmenstrual age, will your baby take in that much milk? I don't know. But the fact that one kid can do it, has done it, has proven it, that means that others might be out there. So don't accept any kind of arbitrary number. Those arbitrary numbers usually give me, like, do doo. I want to put my antennas up when somebody says an arbitrary number. Okay, then. We're coming up to a break. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after this short break.
2: Your life, your health, your network.
3: evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894.
0: You may also send an email to radio
1: at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to Be Breastfed. We're here today talking about the myths that I've heard over the years about breastfeeding for preterm babies. And I've just mowed through the first, I think, six myths. I'm going to finish up with quickly with seven, eight, nine, and ten. Oh, brother, how am I going to mow through those? Okay, well, first of all, uh, this one is one that I've heard too breastfeeding is not possible unless the mother uses a nipple shield. That is a mess uh there certainly are premature babies who do just fine without the nipple shield i would also be willing to admit that there are some preterm babies for whom the nipple shield really seems to help you know i am always reluctant to suggest the shield i think that the research that has been done on the usefulness of shields is frankly not as strong as i'd like it to be and i'm also aware that using the shield can bring up some other issues but that being said when the shield is given and the mother lights up like a Christmas tree when her baby successfully attaches to her breast, well, I, I, I don't know how you measure that in a research study, okay? I love looking at that that look on the mother's face. I am not a fan of shields. Um, I do prefer to avoid them, but on the other hand... Um, I must say that I have a few very, very good friends whom I love and respect, and they've successfully used the shield with mothers and preterm babies. Uh, What I would like to say, though, is that the myth, as I've worded it, is correct. And I've worded it the way I've heard it. Um, I mean, the myth... What what I said about the myth is what I've really heard, but but the myth is untrue. Okay, breastfeeding most certainly is possible for the preterm baby, even without using the shield. I would probably say about that uh, what it really comes down to is, like anything else, look at your indications, look at the benefits, look at the risks, the alternatives before deciding on a course of action to take. Myth number eight, preterm infants cannot breastfeed for more than 20 minutes at a time. This makes me crazy. This is a myth. It is a long-standing myth, but it's a myth. When I teach my lactation exam review course to people who have been lactation consultants for 10 or 20 or 30 years, I am astonished at the number of experienced lactation consultants who, when I ask them for a show of hands, think that 20 minutes is the magic number for how long a preterm baby should breastfeed. Well, the first serious problem with that is that this limit of 20 minutes seems kind of goofy to me because I don't really know what that means. I have helped I don't I have no idea how many preterm babies. And I find that I don't really know what I'm supposed to be timing it. Like, does that mean from the time that the baby comes out of the warmer? Does that mean from the time that the baby actually gets up to the breast? Does that mean from the time the baby is awake and he's actually kind of making some attempts or, or what? I would also say that any time that you get these arbitrary numbers, that should put your antenna up. There is a much more useful way to look at how long the baby should be breastfeeding and that is look at the baby. Look for signs that the baby is overstimulated or possibly fatigued. Anytime that you see a what in the business we tend to call signs of avoidance. Things like yawning or grimacing, sneezing, hiccuping. Have you ever noticed how those preterm kids, those really little bitty kids, the three-pound type kids, they will hiccup all the way to their backbone. They look to me like they're going to break in half. Um, uh, they'll do sighing or, or sometimes coughing like... <laughs> But the one thing that I notice that is especially distressing is they do air planing and finger splatging. They'll throw out their arms and their fingers go wide apart from each other. That is a sign that they are overdone. They are overstressed. The, uh, a lot of times, you'll see that in the incubator, and that is generally a sign that the baby wants to be with the mother. But I think that you'll see that too anytime time that the baby gets overstressed, and you're still trying to get him to eat, and he's like, "No, no, no, no! I, 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 I just like cut me a break here. I just, I, I did as much as I'm gonna do. Just okay. That's the time that the baby is trying to tell you he's done. Myth number nine. All breastfed preterm babies need to be weighed before and after every feeding. Not all. Some. Some preterm babies, or many, but certainly not all. Weighing the baby before and after every breastfeeding is usually called test weighing, and it can be a very valuable way to determine how much the baby is transferring to himself while he's nursing. But... um. <sighs> It should only be done in cases where it's usually done to determine how much milk the baby is taking or for the doctor or the nurse practitioner, whoever it is, to determine how much more supplement that baby should get. So again, I think it really depends on how preterm we're talking here because we talked about those subcategories of being preterm. And then it also depends on what the purpose is and what's going on. Now, the tenth myth that I've got for you is that breastfed infants should be, uh, must be held in the transitional hold. Uh, That's a myth. Let's talk about what the transitional hold is. It's also called the cross cradle. And for listeners who have my book, it's on. I think it's in Chapter 10 somewhere, and there's a picture of the baby in the transitional hold or sometimes cross-cradle hold, and I would readily agree that the transitional hold may be extremely useful for helping the preterm baby to breastfeed. Why so? Well, because most babies, whether they're preterm or even if they're full term, generally what happens is that their head is the heaviest part of their body, and so their muscles that bring the head forward are fairly weak. And so you end up with kind of this head lag, okay? The head goes towards the baby's back. So the transitional hold helps to overcome that problem of a heavy head and the weak muscles, I like the transitional hold and I've suggested it to many mothers, particularly those who have preterm babies, but I don't think it's absolutely necessary to use. I've seen some babies who do perfectly fine without it. In terms of general holds, I would also say you could use the football hold and that will help with those weak muscles, but there's a number of other kinds of things that you can do as well. More techniques that we could talk about some other day. So then, I hope that what I really helped you to do today is to look at all of these myths and to try to pull out for yourself what's real, what's not real, what pertains to your preterm baby as opposed to a different preterm baby and realize that not all babies that are preterm are exactly alike. Okay? I want to remind everyone, please send me your questions to radio at borntobebreastfed.com, that's radio at borntobebreastfed.com, and realize that I am your source for evidence-based practice in your city or on the web. This has been Breastfeeding, uh, no, no, this has been Born to Be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here to see you next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed.